Good morning. Welcome back to the Broadcast Retirement Network. I'm Jeff Snyder. This is BRN AM for Thursday, November 9th, 2023. And our top story today, how American longevity impacts retirement investment lineup design. And joining me now to discuss this and a lot more, Greg Jenkins is with Invesco and Beth Halberstadt is with Aon. Greg, Beth, it's great to see you again. Thanks so much for joining us on the program this morning. Thanks, great to be here again. On. Yeah, I always like picking the brain of, of I'm going to call you industry insiders because that's exactly who you are. You've got a lot, both have a lot of great experience. Uh, Greg, I want to come to you first because Americans have a longer longevity, greater lifespan. And I want to get your perspective on how that longer, that longevity is impacting the thinking of plan sponsors, advisors, um, and other parties within the ecosystem about the retirement plan investment lineup. Well, th- yeah, thanks, Jeff. I, th- I think longevity is a great place to start because really it's the underlying driver of everything with respect to retirement planning. It's ultimately what made defined benefit plans generally unaffordable for not just for corporations, but even for uh, governments too. Uh, and it, it's really just a math problem. So there's been a shift to DC plans over time, and now it's the primary retirement vehicle for the vast majority of corporate uh, corporate employees, as well as uh, state and local government employees, as well as DB benefits are uh, are reduced there. So as pensions are replaced with DC, naturally there's going to be a need for the DC plan to generate reliable income. And in our latest uh, retirement income study at Invesco, we found that only 22% of 1,000 participants were confident they could develop a strategy to turn their DC plan savings into income. So people need help and plan sponsors with the assistance of advisors and consultants are looking at options to offer participants, ranging from simple retirement income planning tools to systematic withdrawal programs, to you know, full-blown, fully integrated retirement income programs that uh, work with uh, target date funds. But it's definitely not a one-size-fits-all, either for the plan sponsor or for the participants. And hopefully, we'll get to a point where people have multiple choices. Uh, there's a few drivers, of course, behind the retirement income trend, but overall, it's a mind shift. DC plans are being thought of differently, and longevity is uh, is really behind it all um, as the importance of retirement income increases. And Beth, <clears throat> Beth, longevity, it's a good thing. Um, I, I can't see anyone arguing it's not a good thing. And I remember uh, during the 90s and into 2000s, we saw a contraction in the number of plan offerings. I mean, some plans have 30, 40, 50 investment options. Most recently, we've gone through a tiering approach where you've got different tiers based on where you are in your life, in terms of your life cycle. Is that approach still a well thought through approach or have things changed uh, in terms of the methodology used to construct an investment lineup? Sure. No, uh, great question. Um, We still think tiered structure is the right approach because it's easy for participants to understand. And we also need flexibility in terms of the different varieties or investor types, as you think of it. So when we think of um, that evolution of the tiered structure, we think of it in a three by two framework. So with the three tiers by investor type, and I'll get into those in a little bit. 
Um, but we think of it in the uh, from the two standpoint in the two phases as you think about a retirement plan lifespan. So in the days when DC plans were launched, it was uh, in addition to DB benefits. But now when we think about a DC plan, it's really you know start out as savings plans, and they really need to be expanded into uh, think of it as a full retirement lifespan. So when we think of that that two phases, think of it as the the savings phase and then the the spending phase. So real quick, I, you know, you guys have heard this uh, tiering approach and this phraseology, I think, used in the past. So tier one, we like to focus on professionally managed um, solutions, think asset allocation, the do it for me has kind of been our, our uh, vernacular there. Tier two is more for that cost aware investor. So those in comfortable making decisions um, and utilizing passive strategies. And then tier three is typically for that more engaged investor, maybe a little bit more of a savvy um investor who is willing to do that research and dig in a little bit more and, and know more about investing. So when we think about taking that the, those tiers from a savings perspective and translate that to what does that mean in a spending phase, um, we still think those three categories make sense. So below the line from a spending phase, uh, professionally managed solutions still make sense. Um, and so what we're seeing is target date funds that are building in requirement income uh, components in a variety of different ways, or managed accounts uh, where someone's doing it for you, um, delivering a managed payout solution. And then as you think about the low-cost solutions, um, it could be something as simple as a multi-asset um, real return fund, maybe with some sort of installment payment feature that the record keeper offers. Um, and then lastly, uh, for those that are more engaged, more savvy, doing that uh, digging in, uh, are thinking about retirement um, spending uh, in a more complex way. So maybe they're looking for a longevity uh, protection, some sort of longevity insurance, or maybe some sort of annuity purchase window. And then when we think about the spending phase, I think we're going to find um, participants in this place where maybe they're working part-time past 65 into their 70s, and they still want to take advantage of company match, pre-tax savings. So they're still going to be putting money in the plan, but maybe at the same time be taking withdrawals. So, you know, invest, you know, depositing and withdrawing at the same time, each giving them a benefit and purpose. So I think plan design there below the line needs to continue to evolve to, to consider that, that, uh, that, that kind of phase. Yeah. And, and Greg, uh, uh, look, there are a lot of do it yourself investors out there and target, target date funds have really served um, a great purpose in fulfilling that responsibility for those do it yourself investors. And I guess my question to you is, are these target date funds, they're both active, passive, there's a combination of both. Are they still as the right solution, number one, and are they nimble and agile enough to adapt to the circumstances that Beth is talking about? Yeah, great question. And Beth did a great job of laying out a tiered menu and structure. And really the cornerstone of that is target date funds. And target date funds and the ability to use them as a default is probably hands down the best thing that ever happened to DC plans over the last 20 years. Now, having said that, it's important to acknowledge that target date funds are far from perfect. They're a blunt instrument that assumes that uh, participants' financial situations all fall into neat averages. Um, additionally, our research from our uh, 2019 called the Forgotten Participant found that 50% of participants uh, only 50% chose a target date when given the choice between target date funds or uh, investing, investing according to the risk 
um, tolerance, like a, a risk-based uh, fund, for example. And we've tested this uh, over the years in a variety of formats, and we always get about a 50-50 uh, target date fund or non-target date fund answer. Uh, and so in focus groups, we've asked people who didn't pick target date funds why, uh, why they made that choice. And what they said was they really weren't sure about the risk level of target date funds. And this idea of changing vintages in order to adjust your risk level. So, for example, changing from a 2045 fund to a 2035 fund uh, to adjust risk, it seems natural to you know, us financial professionals, but to the average person, this appears to be very confusing. Um, older, older participants cited their more complicated financial situations and the need to uh, you know, invest differently for this, this particular pool of money, their current uh, DC plan. Um, in any case, it seems that more education is needed on how to use target date funds correctly because many people uh, struggle with that. And another remedy might be to offer a managed account uh, option, uh, especially for those older participants with more you know, complicated financial situations. Yeah, really good point. Uh, Greg, Beth, I need to take a very quick break. When we come back, we'll pick up the conversation, talk more about diversification with target date funds, and of course, longevity. You're going to want to stay tuned right here on BRN AM. Imagine a new television network that will make you richer, healthier, and in control of your financial future. This network is for the policewoman in Nashville, Tennessee, the baker in Dubuque, Iowa, the teacher in Lexington, Kentucky. We want to make the idea of savings and retirement culturally relevant. But what do you see as a defining issue of the midterms? Especially for the smaller businesses. I mean, they are the lifeblood of the American economy. Featuring exclusive interviews, current affairs, and docu-series. 33 yeah. years old, you retired early. The philosophy is money only matters if it helps you live a life that you love. But you gotta start thinking about retirement as soon as you get in. The Broadcast Retirement Network will drive very high engagement with premium partnerships. So this isn't retirement and savings for your parents or grandparents. This is for all Americans. And we're gonna change the way you think about money. Welcome to the next frontier of retirement and savings. This is BRN, the Broadcast Retirement Network. Welcome back. We're joined this morning by Greg Jenkins of Invesco and Beth Halberstadt from Aon. Beth, Greg, thanks so much for staying with us. Really appreciate you hanging around for segment number two this morning. Absolutely. Awesome. Great to be here. Yeah, it's a fun conversation. Um, I, you know, like I said, thought leaders. Um, and I think these are the types of conversations that need to happen. And especially for people making public policy, certainly things to be thinking about. Uh, Beth, I want to come to you because Greg talked about diversification and targeted funds. Asset managers, they do a great job and usually within their lane, but they can't be all things to all people. Is there a greater need for 
those that create target date funds, as an example, to further diversify, find the best managers in a particular target, in a sleeve within the target date fund in order to build what I would call a target date fund built for uh, retirement income and longevity in the future. Yeah, we, um, we've been really uh, excited to see that managers um, who are building target date fund solutions are really evolving their products specifically to address the retirement income needs. We target date funds um, are, are, as we all know, are getting the majority of asset flows these days. And as we think about tools that are going to help participants get through retirement, um, think that in generally speaking, the marketplace has been responsive. While we're still not seeing significant uptake in the new solutions, I think like anything in DC plans, it it's a gradual uptake like we saw with advice and look where we are today uh, with managed accounts. So um, we are seeing a host of different things um, with target dates who are pairing some form of, of uh, income, right? And it comes in different flavors. Um, one example would be a target date fund provider who is pairing an optional qualified longevity annuity contract or a QLAC, I think is the terminology most people are familiar with. Um, to address that longevity risk. And this is um, what happens in that structure is that guaranteed payments would start out of that target date fund about 15 to 20 years into retirement. So at the tail end of your retirement. We've also seen uh, another provider uh, pair up their target date fund with a group fixed uh, in fixed index annuity. Get that out. Um, with a hey, guaranteed... I know exactly with a guaranteed lifetime withdrawal benefit. So think of that um, as providing income at the start of retirement. So a little earlier, and we think that solution provides a little bit more flexibility. Um, and then we've seen target date fund providers who have taken a solution um, where there's a, a, an option for participants to say, yes, I do want a annuity component to it. And they start at about age 50 purchasing incrementally into that annuity solution. So when a participant reaches that retirement age at 65, when they've elect to annuitize, um, target date fund will take the remaining assets uh, and invest those at uh, a higher allocation to return seeking assets because a portion of that participant's balance has been annuitized. So they can take a little bit more risk the investable assets. So those, and then those participants who chose not to annuitize within that target date fund suite, um, their asset allocation at retirement um, would be, for those non-annuitants, would be invested um, at that uh, standard landing point that you would see. So again, some really interesting flexibility that participant can select uh, along the way. So we are, like I said, seeing more of these out there, not a high adoption rate quite yet, but the more and different a variety of solutions that are out there are getting plan sponsors to pay attention to it, advisors like us, um, focusing on reading um, and guiding and advising plan sponsors as they're thinking about growing out that spending phase. And, you know, one size does not fit all, as we know um, uh, quite often, um, plan sponsors want to offer multiple solutions. And so how do you integrate all that? Yeah, and, and Greg, I mean, a lot of what Beth's describing, there's a lot of education around it uh, that's really important. And one area that we've talked to you about is diversification and the inclusion of other asset classes. An example would be alternative investments or access to private markets. So you talk about offering more a diversified, you know, Beth already intimated a lot of this with 
the QLAC and, and, and some other approaches in building these structures. But let's talk about offering different asset classes within the target date structure. Yeah, great. So there's plenty of evidence on the benefits of alternative investments in portfolios. And, and you know, our listeners can can, you know, simply Google that. And I think you'll 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 find quite a few papers and other things that make the case really well. So I won't belabor that today. But in DC plans, the implementation of alternative investments is critical. I think for most for most plans, for most groups of participants, it's really hard to argue that standalone alternative strategies belong on the core menu, because for the simple fact that most participants have will have no idea how to use these options uh, correctly. The best fit is in professionally managed options like target date funds uh, and and target risk funds. And you know, in terms of diversification, target date funds have made a lot of progress over time but uh you know the most obvious thing missing is exposure to private markets which make up um 20 of other institutional you know pools of assets like db plans endowments foundations and even even when you look at target dates uh, our, our our target date funds in the us their equivalents in places like the uk and australia you find an allocation to uh, to private markets as well. Um, it's also just a significant portion of the investing universe that um, DC plans participants are are missing out on. You know, another interesting way for alts to be implemented as well is uh, through managed accounts. Uh, we're starting to see this, and the potentials there for a meaningful positive impact on uh, participant outcomes. But it's really important for our plant sponsors to get help from advisors when thinking about alternatives. Uh, so far, private real estate has seen the most adoption. There's about, according to the latest survey from the DC Real Estate Council, there's about $59 billion uh, in DC assets in private real estate. Now that's, you know, that's not huge compared to other asset classes, but still uh, pretty meaningful. Um, private debt and private equity are sort of waiting in the wings or in the early stages of DC plan usage and uh, and show promise. Um, but the overall goal, of course, is to enhance diversification, enhance returns, and so that regular people can be on par with large institutional investors that have been benefiting uh, from these investments for for quite some time. And, and Beth, I mean, Greg makes some really good points. And I do feel like our industry, even though 401k plans, DC plans have been around for well over 40 years, uh, it's pretty glacial. Um, and there are early adopters. But what, let's get the brass tacks. What's really needed here is it greater fiduciary education and also participant education? Because even if you can add something to the plan, that's not a guarantee that it's going to be adopted or used by the individuals in the retirement plan. No, absolutely agree. And we uh, agree with all the comments that Greg made um, and are supportive of incorporating the private markets. You know, the investment thesis makes sense, but it's how do you do that in the DC space um, in a way that makes it easy for investors and um, risk controlled, I guess, is a good way to think of it. Where we've seen um, great success is with uh, in incorporating those alternative asset classes in customized solutions. Um, as defined contribution plans continue to grow, and they are going to continue to grow, 
there is an opportunity through whether it's launching custom target date funds. And I think in this instance, it's probably the most um, appropriate place to uh, incorporate private markets. And, um, and as they grow, it's going to be more economical to launch custom strategies, but there is a lot more work for fiduciaries to do, and, and it's a little harder for participants to understand. So where we've seen the introduction of custom solutions being very successful um, is with, um, with organizations of what we'll call a certain profile. So starting with uh, a real stable or paternalistic committee who understands what it means to build a custom asset allocation and the oversight that's that goes into that. It's you know more work, uh, greater understanding. Um, those committees or HR teams that have a real commitment to education for the participants that will explain specifically why they're going to a custom structure. Like why is it an off-the-shelf solution? You know, our participants are brand name buyers. There's comfort level with those brands, and um, and you know they're like, hey, everybody says that's the way to go, right? So how do you explain what the benefits are of under the hood and how the outcomes are going to be better for them long term, and um, and investing in in that? And it's got to be ongoing. It can't be a point in time. And then also having um, an organization to have really mature vendor relationships. What do I mean by that? They have to have. A, a record keeper that's partnering really well with their investment advisor, with the HR team, with the investment committee, like all collectively together have to work uh, in lockstep in terms of um, launching these solutions, maintaining them, explaining how privates are you know, going to add value. Um, and then last but not least, I think comfort and confidence in the face of the litigation landscape in DC right now. Innovation's not being rewarded but we know that when we think about investment thesis, we talk about where we've had great success with pension plans and other pools, uh, divine benefit plans and other pools, is with incorporating alternative asset classes. So I think that a participant experience. Yeah, well, as you said, there are certainly examples out there that, that prove that. Uh, that case. Beth, uh, Greg, we're going to have to leave it there. Great to see you both. As always, thanks for your insight and we look forward to having you back on the program again very soon. Thanks, Jeff. Always great to be on. Thank you for including us, Greg. Always a pleasure. And that wraps up this episode of BRNAM. Have a topic of interest, someone you think we should talk to, drop us a line. And don't forget, for all the latest curated news and lifestyle, wellness, finance, tech, so much more and all in one place, check out today's edition of our daily newsletter, the Morning Pulse. Want to search our archives, check out our latest content? Well, visit our website. We're back again tomorrow for another edition of BRNAM. We'll have a very special guest and another important topic. Until then, I'm Jeff Snyder. Stay safe, keep on saving, and don't forget, roll with the changes. Now is your opportunity to co-create content around any topic on the first lifestyle and wellness network. Reach a global audience through our platform and co-own exclusive branded content. 
All of our programs are available on demand and also as audio-only podcasts, so you can take us on the go. Broadcast Retirement Network, available anytime, anywhere, and on any device.